All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, check it out. This is a classic QLS episode featuring our fam, Little Brother. Of course, you know, they have a really powerful documentary called May the Lord Watch. I highly recommend you watch it. They're one of my favorite groups. They'll soon be one of your favorite groups. For all I know, they're already one of your favorite groups, all right? Questlove Supreme classic, Little Brother. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. I'm your host, Questlove. With me today is Boss Bill, and kind of weird is Fontigolo on his own former podcast as a guest. (laughs) (laughs) Proud of the son is returned. And the the one and only Big Pooh, collectively known as North Carolina's finest little brother. I'm correct yes. in saying Dorm, correct? Yep. Yep. And you yeah. you, you claim Dorm as well, Pooh. Durham claims me. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. Like like who's winning the tug of war of who, who where the genesis of Little Brother actually lies? It's Durham. It's Durham. It's Durham. I mean, it, it, yeah, it all started at Central, you know what I mean? We were students at North Carolina Central together, so Durham, for all intents and purposes, it is the birthplace of Little Brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I just have to make it clear that I'm, I'm from Virginia, originally. <laughs> just what city? Uh, Alexandria, no, all through Northern Virginia, but Alexandria and Fairfax specifically. Okay, all right. Yeah. So I, I, in, in the attempts to treat Fonte as a regular guest and not assume that everyone knows his story. I do, however, I'm not that familiar with your story, Pooh. So to give us a, a recap or whatever, I'll start with you. What was your entry into music? Probably the radio, but like more importantly, BMG, when they did the, uh, you could get like <laughs> 10 12 CDs, CDs for dollars. 12 CDs for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. a dollar or whatever. Um, were you I honest just, or were you a scammer? I was scamming big time. Yeah, proud scammer here. Yeah, yeah, I, I did it about five different times and got five different groups of CDs. But 
that was probably my real intro, just learning about so many different um, artists. And I had friends from New York. I mean, everybody probably did at that time, back in the 90s, who would come down with tapes. Like, that's how I first heard of Biggie, Nas, and uh, just different artists from out of New York at the time. And between that and radio, because um, radio was real regional in the mm-hmm. 90s. So you, I mean, we were, it was heavy go-go influence, but you would get, when the artists come through, you will start getting the different artists. So that's how I got put on to like, when Raekwon, when he dropped the Purple Tape, uh, he came through, did an interview. They, they actually debuted Incarcerated Scarfaces on the radio. <laughs> I'll never forget it in D.C. So um, that was my start, man. I, I was actually just talking about this with my wife yesterday. Like, we didn't listen to music in the house. My mom is not a huge music fan, mm-hmm. so I just had to get it other places because it, it didn't come from the crib. Yeah, I was going to ask for, and the same for you, Fonte. Like, was there trickled down creativity in your life? Like an older cousin, an older like. Yeah, for for me, it absolutely was. It was uh, it was my mom. I think it started with my mom. So. The thing with, uh, you know, I have very young parents. So my mother was, my mother, when she had me, she was 15 and my dad was 17. Right. So I was pretty much with my mom, like, all the time. So mm-hmm. wherever she went, I I was there. So during the summer, well, that, well during, the like, the weekends, right. that was when we had to clean up. We all lived with my grandmother. So we that was cleanup time so that was when she was playing all the you know all just you know the classic r&b stuff luther patty um you know you had uh johnny guitar watson she used to like uh, love jones by johnny guitar watson and we would sing that um and then during the week if she went out to like the park or whatever that's why i heard all like the early 80s you know nucleus jam on it shannon let the music play that was kind of where i was hearing all that and so between her and my uncle, I, my, but two uncles, my, my one uncle, Mike, he was a DJ and he would get like all the promo records from the station and bring them home. And I would go through the promo records. And then my other uncle, my uncle Brad, he was super, he was kind of the more experimental, I guess, in terms of his taste. Like he was heavy, um, P-Funk, heavy. Um, he was a big dance music fan. So a lot of South Soul stuff. Um, South Soul Orchestra, um, Instant Funk, got my mind made up. Um, he, like, Heart, I remember he had, like, the Heart, the Dreamboat Annie album. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he, <laughs> he he went all over everywhere. So he was probably, you know, one of my biggest musical influences in terms of no regard for genre. If it was funky to him, he just fucked with it, and that's what it was. So with Pooh, for you, you not having that, like, what... Was it just recreational or just an escape or like what was your I, was, life plan? It was an escape for me. Uh, I can put on music, had a bike, walk, man, just ride around town. Endless hours just listening to music, had the auto reverse. So it would flip itself. Um, and so, you know, I just I, it, for me, it was just something I just always innately enjoyed and, and just enjoy listening i was always a writer not necessarily a music but like i would write poetry i would write short stories so that inspired like that intrigued me in music that's why i took to nas like i did because his his rhymes are more like stories to me so that's why i took the prince um 
his stuff was like stories. Um, and it, I mean, that was that was pretty much it. I later learned that my dad is a big music head and fan, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, I didn't meet him till I was nineteen, so I would not have known that in my younger years. Now, I mean, is this the typical narrative for? a young black teenager in the early nineties to go this particular route, because again, I mean, you know how culturally ignorant uh, Northerners are and what our thoughts are about anybody below the Mason Dixon line. So I mean, just in general, cause outcast had this problem as well. Yeah. Like people just say, oh, Atlanta, whatever, you know, not knowing. So was there ever a, I mean, is this the the typical route of a young black teenager in in that time period? I definitely wouldn't say it was typical, um, just because you know where, where we grew up at, where I, where I grew up in, in Greensboro, North Carolina. You know, there wasn't there were people who made music, but there wasn't really the the thought of actually making it as a musician. It was just. Yo, we like music, we spin records, you know, we freestyle, whatever. But I don't think there was ever a real thought of like, yo, you could make a living doing this. Um, this The South at, at that time, and still in many ways, is still very traditional in the sense of, you know, you go to school, you get a job, you get you some benefits, you know, you bring a, a steady check home. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. That was life. <laughs> that That's what it was, yeah. So in terms of just musically, though, we were always the south was always a big kind of melting pot because and i think a lot of things that people didn't understand the the problem that cast had and also you know a problem that little brother had you know people didn't understand it in the south we grew up listening to everything like the south was the meeting point for all kinds of music so mm-hmm. you had of course you know where we were and i've talked about this before on the show where we were in Greensboro, that was, you know, it's the south, it's, it's east coast, but it was a lot of traffic that went through Greensboro, be it college students, be it drug dealers, <laughs> be it, you know, just all kind of transplants that was bringing their music, you know, to our area. And then, like Pooh was saying, you had the cats coming from D.C., they brought the go-go, you know what I mean? And so we were getting, then you had Florida, that was, you know, Magic Mike, 2 Live Crew, you had the bass you know, from, mm-hmm. from Florida and Atlanta. And then, you know, the West Coast, you know, with like Chronic, of course, I mean, Chronic was kind of the bomb that went off everywhere. But we were students. And that was something that um, I think we always had an advantage of as Southerners because we really had to study all types of music versus New York. They kind of got caught off guard. Like the South was a sucker punch to them. Like when they saw you know, when Master P blew up and, right. you know, No Limit, you know, uh, uh, Cash Money, they got caught off guard. It was like, what the fuck is this? But in the South, we knew that shit was coming. You know what I mean? Right. Because we had been studying it. So, okay, when I first started coming down to North Carolina, there was a club called, is it the Cat's Cradle? Cat's, Cat's Cradle. Cradle. Uh, yep. Okay, so, like, one of our very first gigs was at the Cat's Cradle, and... I mean, you know, we were the roots, so of course we're going to attract sort of an alternative sort of audience, whatnot. So there was like an element of culture that I was familiar with down there that I wasn't too certain about. I don't know if you guys know Dave Tompkins. He was like a writer. Yeah, he was a writer at, uh, I know of him. I don't know him personally, but I know who he is. Yeah, he wrote for like Vibe and all that stuff and whatnot. So he was like showing me around North Carolina and whatnot. So... 
I mean, was there a first draft of a crew? Like, how how do you two meet and amalgamate into what will eventually be known as Little Brother? Like, what's what's the circle? I mean, we initially met uh, in a dorm room. Uh, Tay came through in his ever ever bubbly personality uh, <laughs> to spit a rhyme he wrote for English class. Uh, and and I, Wait, that's me, how y'all met. That's how we met. Um, that's, that was the first time we met, straight up. Yeah, it was, like, it was not, Ari, not, 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 not. <laughs> Ari on the hallway, uh, Joe Joe Wright. Uh, I remembered his last name today. Uh, Joe Wright, He was it was his room, and he used to just have mad people come in the room, and I was fresh on the hallway because I actually stayed in a, uh, a hotel for half of my first semester in, in college. But I got there. We were in the room kicking it, and Fonte come in. And was like, yeah, uh, wrote this rhyme for English class. It's called No Apologies. And he starts spitting, and I'm just like, what? You wrote that for English class? That that could be on the radio or some shit. And mm-hmm. um, that's when he let everybody know he was quitting football as well. I didn't know he played football, but he was quitting. Yeah, but, I got uh, the fuck up out of there. <laughs> he was, he was Wait, letting how that long loose. did you play football for? Man, I played football. I started playing football in the sixth grade. And... Uh, I played all through middle school, all through high school, and I played my first two years in college. And uh, I played fullback. And, you know, by the time I got to college, I realized that it was a much more of a – it was a commitment that I just didn't have. Like, I didn't love the game. I wasn't on scholarship. I didn't care. You know, I was like, why am I out here? Fuck this. Was it a Friday night lights culture for football down there or (sighs) – um, it, with uh, high school was, football and college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it kind of was. I mean, it was a big um, – so the, the school I played for in high school, uh, Page High School, um, we used to whoop ass. Like, we was the truth. And so my senior – my junior, senior year, my senior year, we got to the semifinals. And um, we almost took state, but we lost in the semifinals. But um, we always had a good program. And so it was something – I think for me it was just something that was more social in high school. It was just – you know, I was a big kid. I had decent size, you know, decent speed. And, you know, I like to hit motherfuckers. So I was like, all right, fuck it. I'll play football. But once I got to, once I got to college, that's when I was like, yo, this shit is a business. Like, you really got to be committed. And I just didn't have the love for it. And I was like, man, why am I out here? I love doing music. So let me go do music. And that was around the time. That was, that was when me and Pooh met. That's when we met. And. It, I mean, it, it morphed into uh, uh, different variations of what it ultimately became. Um, it was a big-ass group of us at one time called the organization. Then that whittled down to Gimme. Then that, <laughs> how many, wait, how many people were in that organization? It was I don't like, know. What, nine? So it was, okay, the organization, it was me, you, I guess Ninth was in it by default, I, I think. I don't even think he was in the organization. Was he in That's it? Okay. Man, it, it, it was people. I can't even remember their names. It was this organization. It was this organization. So I know definitely it was me, you, Joe. <laughs> um, God, who, um, you remember Rosie? Rosie. Uh, Rosie, she was like one of yeah. The, it, was this, it was a girl we used to run with named Rosie who was MC. She was dope. Uh, Medina, of course, she was in that. Yes, yes, she was. Medina was there. Yes. Medina, Medina was, was in the, the house. What's the joke behind Medina? <laughs> Medina was Medina was. A, she was another uh, girl. She was a she was an MC, and Medina was dope. And uh, Medina and and Sean Don, they had a, a whirlwind t- t- romance, t- t- tumultuous, tumultuous relationship. 
And yeah, this was the original Chris Brown and Rihanna. <laughs> man, oh man. Oh, no. <laughs> man, oh man. Listen. Okay. The, the right. yeah. that, that, we'll leave that man to tell his own his own war, yeah. war stories. Those, those stories are not ours to tell. <laughs> but, but we were a collective of just MCs and, and then we had Aziz, you know, Aziz Collins. Aziz Collins. He was he, he was our R and B singer. Yeah, yeah. Aziz, Aziz, keep him hollering, Collins. Right. And we, um, we had like somebody else that rapped. I can't remember that. I can't remember who it was. But it it was just a very loose, and I use that term loosely. <laughs> it, was, it was very loose collective of people who went to school together, and we would we just, just go to each other each other rooms freestyling and rapping. Freestyle, and, and that was yeah. that was it. And then it whittled down to Gimme, which is me, which Jay. Is- Sean Don. Gimme G I M M E. Yep. I, yeah, E. Yep. And that was then, a dope name. Wait, what that wasn't an acronym, was it? It was of course it was an of acronym. Course it was, it was an 99, acronym. of course. Come on now. Come on. <laughs> what now? Would it, would it give what you him? <laughs> God, I murdered many MCs. That was that one was of it. them. Yeah. We had a couple it, of them. Uh, that was the main one. That was the main one. God, I murdered many MCs. <laughs> it was so many bad. We had so many bad like meanings for the acronym, but that was it. <laughs> I want a group to come out named acronym and the acronym stands. It's the acronym. <laughs> Accomplished character, resi- resilient. <laughs> like nigga, oh, I don't get that shit. Way the fuck up out of here. Uh, yeah, um, but it, it. I mean, it, it transformed into many different. Took many different shapes and. I still remember this is this was always be funny to me. I mean, this was the moment that changed my rap career, but it's it's still funny because it's ironic how it ended up. Uh, Sean Don didn't come back to school one semester, so that was the end of Gimme. Right. And uh, Fonte was in my dorm room, and he was like, "Yo, man, we got to yeah, talk." He went I'm to like, New York. He went back to New York. Yeah, Sean Don went back to New York. So I was like, "What's good, man?" He's like, "Yeah, man. Um, I don't see us being no duo, so uh, you know." You gotta do some more work. So, um, but you, if you if you need me for something, just holler at me. Oh, and he that, trying to fleece you. That conversation changed my it changed my 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 rap career, man. It, it made me work the hardest shit. Like I never worked so hard in my life at something. But I it, mean, it's, how, it's ironic because that's we ended up a duo <laughs> anyway. <laughs> like yeah. during that period, I mean, how how much would you say you were committing to? Your craft, um, as opposed to like surviving, going to your job, and I'll write a rhyme, maybe. Man, I was surviving, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it it wasn't it wasn't serious for me. I still didn't. I still didn't believe that it could be more than just something we were doing in school at the time. Because um, I never saw this as a career for me. It was just something I loved to do, and that moment let me know, like, hey, man. You gotta step your shit up, or, or you better start really going to class. It was it was one of those moments. <laughs> yeah, as y'all can see, I didn't choose class. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. I mean, I remember at that time because we were kind of it was a pivotal moment for all of us because at that time, Sean Donnie went back to New York and Pooh was still me and you. We were the only ones I think still in Durham, and you were about to go home that summer. We were all about to just go home for that summer. And what year um, is this? This is 98, 99? No, nah, this was this was probably two. Oh, was it 2000? It had to be the 2000. It was 2001. Because that's the hmm. summer we Wait a minute. Okay. You know what? 
it was, was two thousand one. I want to say it was spring two thousand one. I would I went to Charlotte for the summer, and I was taking the train back to Durham because that's when the Justice League started. Yeah, that's when Little Brother became Little Brother, like that. And that was in spring two thousand one. That was like I, Dylan was born. My oldest son was born. He was born December two thousand. So. Yeah, around 2001 spring, oh, nigga, my head was in a whole nother place. I was like, yo, if you ain't real about this shit, nigga, yeah, you I, better find something else because, nigga, I got a kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to say, out. when you have a kid and when you have real life situations, then how much pressure to pursue your, your craft? Like, what's the ratio balance? Man, I was scared of shit. Um, I, I was I was I was scared as hell. Um, I, you know, my my son was born the end of December. Uh, he you know he was Christmas he was Christmas Eve two thousand, and so I ended up finishing my degree in that that, that following semester of like May two thousand one. Um, his mother ended up coming back. I think that next the semester after that, and she finished her degree like in December. So we were young parents and we had no fucking idea what we were going to do. You know, I, I had no clue, you know, what, what it was going to be. And um, me and Pooh, we were we had started kind of making records. We had made a couple records as Gimme. And, you know, I, I felt like we had something that was dope. But, uh, you know, Shandon went back to New York. Um, me and Pooh were just, you know, kind of here. He was going back home for the summer. And he was going back home to Charlotte, and we had that conversation. I was like, yo, man, I don't really see us being a duo. But that summer, I remember Pooh went home, and that was um, it was this event he used to call called Fat City that a buddy of ours was having. Uh, it's called DJ DR. And it was like an open mic kind of freestyle thing. And Pooh, he put in work, and he came back that next semester, and his rhymes was just different. He was rhyming. I was like, nigga, you, this shit sound good. You know what I mean? And I could just see he had really put that work in. I mean, and we all had kind of been putting it in, but I really just saw in him, I was like, yeah, like he really, he really bought it now. And, um, you know, we, we all, you know, we took him seriously at that point. Okay. So where does ninth come into the equation of ninth originally was, man, ninth was, I met ninth in 96. 98 it was 98 yeah, yeah so 98 uh we were moving into the dorm this was like uh you the, the day when everybody moves into the dorm i was playing football so i had already been there earlier to report for camp so we had been in there all the all the football players but um this is when the civilians we used to call them you know the civilians had first moved in so all the mm-hmm. niggas didn't ball like it's like i i it's the civilians about to move in the civilians coming and so ninth, oh, so the sports at first, and then the civilians come. Yeah, that's when the civilians come after that, because we had to report early, you know, for for two days, well, shit, right. three days, really. And so, um, so man, so I'm I'm in the joint. I, I walk into the dorm, and it's like the lobby kind of commons area, and I see this dude holding a source magazine, and I was like, "Yo, man, let let let, let me see that. Let me, let me see that source." And at that time, this was again. This is like '98, so this is Master P. You know, bad boy. I mean, this is kind of like the peak of of that era. You know, right. approaching that era. So to see somebody with a Source magazine, that shit was like, nigga, that's like manna from heaven. You know what I mean? It's like, oh my god, mm-hmm. you you know about this too? What the fuck? You know? And so, um, 
it, it he was like, yeah, man. So we, me and him, started going through the, the source together, and it was a, a ad for Most Def's Black on Black Sides, and I think either me or him was like, yo, man, I'm waiting on this shit, and I was like, nigga, you know about that? Like, what you were you up on most? And from that point on, me and Ninth, like, we were, like, that was it. You know what I mean? It, it was like, you know, I had found kind of another Jedi. So that was 98. Um, well, can, I ask, can I ask something? Sure. Well, when I meant culturally, did you often have to code switch musically to fit in with whatever social circle you were in? So say if, like, someone's not into most that is in your parameter in college, like who else are you listening to at that time? No limit. They ran shit because I because so no fucking no limit. limit ran shit, bro. Like that was for me. It was different because so I didn't get no limit until I got to college because at the time that was when we was playing football, and so all the football players like all in the locker room. That was what we was bumping about it, about it. The, the the true album, No Limit Soldiers. Like, you know, before we went to the weight room, like we bumped that shit. So that was when No Limit clicked for me. Cause I was like, okay, this is what the music is used for. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily nothing I was riding around in my car playing. You know what so I mean? So at no point were you guys like, hey, there's this thing called the love movement. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Now, Yo, I mean, I, I want to play I was, a song called "Get a Hold," like drifting back. You know, I was still How's in. That uh, I was still in high school, but I mean, for us, it it wasn't. It was just like you like what you like, and you learn from other people about other, you know, uh, other shit. So I learned from other people about No Limit. I learned because I was listening to New York stuff personally. So right. I learned from other people about No Limit. I learned from other people about the West Coast. I had a homeboy who was from Oakland originally. So he put me on to Drew Down and Too Short and all the guys from Oakland. And and so that's how I started just taking everything in. But it wasn't like a if you come into the circle and you be like, yo, man, I listen to uh, – you know, the Jungle Brothers. And somebody was like, man, I'm listening to fucking N.W.A., man. Like, it, it wasn't yeah, a thing like they, they looked not, down on you. That. It was just like, oh, well, let me see what that's talking about. And you, it was like a sharing oh, okay. experience. It was a way, more, yeah, a, a yeah. lot more sharing, way more communal experience. Like, I, we we got in the No Limit, but it was more like with binoculars. Mm, <laughs> Let's yeah. see what they're doing. From a distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's see what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, when the movie came out, we had it on the tour bus, but it's more like, <laughs> look at those guys. Yeah. But we, I didn't realize that that shit was a culture. It's, it was a, that shit yeah, was. Yeah, man. Yeah, it wasn't a movement, nigga. It was definitely a culture. Like, <laughs> and, yeah, and was no it. you saw that No Limit tank. Yeah, No Limit we, is an army. Get the fuck out the way. <laughs> and yes, <laughs> the thing that's curious to me is that you guys still decided to go to another pasture that not traveled before down there where it could have been easy for you guys to just go that route. I just think that that, that wasn't who we were, you know, because um, I've, you know, I've been asked that question a lot about, you know, why we chose the route that we did. And, you know, for me, I think it was just an extension of who we were. You know what I mean? I mean, the, the No Limit stuff and, like, a lot of the, the South stuff that was popping at that time, you know, I enjoyed those records, and, you know, they certainly had a place in my life. But I knew I couldn't live that. You know what I mean? And so 
I was like, well, the the stuff that is more connected to me in terms of, you know, just who I am as a person and kind of the way I want to live my life, it was tribe. It was calm mm-hmm. and the roots and, you know, it was all the stuff from that kind of native tongue tree. And um, that was what felt right to us in terms of making records. Now, I'll say what attracted me to you guys when I first heard of you guys was the fact that, well, first, I mean, our our listeners need to know exactly how ahead of your time you guys were as far as, I mean, what people are doing now as far as, like, do-it-yourself, making records, making final product in your houses, in your apartment, that sort of thing, which, I mean, it's practically unheard of. I mean, for all the folklore of RZA, yeah. you know, making the Wu-Tang stuff in his apartment, he still brought those ADATs to a real studio mm-hmm. to polish them and all those things. So the first, you know, when you guys told me that all this stuff was made in your, in your dorm room and on Fruity Loops and on computers and all that stuff, like, that was like talking Greek to me. I, <laughs> how did you guys even know? I mean, how, how are you guys even pioneers of, just new ways of recording and whatnot. Shit, that's all we like, had. We black folk, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Work with what you got. <laughs> like straight up. We didn't have no studios. We didn't have no, you know, Nike didn't have no beat machine. Like, I mean, just... at no point was it like because even with us, it was like, okay, well, we got to get to a real studio one day. So like, we ponied up our money and just went to a real studio. At nah, no point nah. was there like we we heard what we had and what we were doing and was like fuck that studio like this is our studio. <laughs> and then, we good. And then too on top of that, on top of that, you remember we heard so we heard the stuff that we were making in our studio and then we also heard the stuff that was coming out of the big studios at that time. Right. And that shit was garbage. <laughs> and so we I think that kind of gave us even more confidence cuz we was like yo if we doing this shit in our fucking, in my homie's apartment, and y'all niggas is going to these, you know, it was mixed on this 24 track or whatever, and the music still ain't good. So I think for me, that was a big, that was a big factor too. That's when I realized it was the the man, not the machine. That's okay. that's that's what that taught me. Um, what were the alternative group names besides Little Brother? I mean, was Little Brother just an automatic, like, that's what we are? Did you have other... That was the first name. Yeah, I think another one, the only one I can remember was Round Midnight. I remember we had, that was one, which thank that God was we one. Use. We had one that we just all knew it couldn't be used for a rap group, Flea Market Mannequins. Um, <laughs> I remember that. I that remember was that. one. I'm still using Wait. that shit for something. Why is Flea Market <laughs> I have no idea where that came from. I remember that name, but I don't know what the thought of it was. I think maybe I was like, I was I was listening to like Goo Goo Dolls and like Foo Fighters. Like I was into that shit, so I was trying to think of a name that sounded something like that. But an alternative name that could get y'all booked at a club, right? And, <laughs> Wait and, a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> right, be a lot of pissed off people. <laughs> Yo, what's up? This is Fonte Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, 
uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurter to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. So what was the the genesis of what we now know as the listening and um, the beginning of it? Man, the listening was, um, yeah, by this time, this is around 2001. It's um, 01. I, it's 01, yeah. I graduated yeah. school in in May, and um, Ninth, he was, by this time, he was fully fledged, like, making beats. So the thing with Ninth um, was that, you know, we met in 98, uh, I didn't hear a beat from him until like a year later. I didn't even know he made beats. Um, he came to my room. We met in 98. He came to my room one day and he had, um, he's like, yo, man, I got something I want to play for you. He's like, yo, I got the, the Black Star bootleg. I was like, word, you got that? She's like, hell yeah. And so we played the Black Star album. We was listening to the, uh, the, the, the Black Star record. And right. I was like, man, dude, this shit crazy as hell. This shit dope. And so... Then I didn't see Ninth again for like months at a time because he was 
in school, but I don't think he was really but in he school. Wasn't in school. <laughs> yeah, he was a career student. Like, his, Wait, how do y'all do that? Like, <laughs> it's the you south, around man. The dorms? Yo, if you can, if you hang around the dorm, if you can get, uh, you know, if you good with somebody in the calf, you can eat. So if you ain't got, even if you ain't got no meal plan, you know, you can get in the calf on on special like chicken day, nigga. Come on, yeah, that shit anybody was a free for walking in there on chicken day. Yeah, Wait, Tariq, Day Essential was like the club. I was going to say, <laughs> at Tariq's school, they did not allow any Reynolds wrap or foil uh, inside their cafeteria for fear that you know the students would steal the food and take it back to their dorm. Man, but, listen, man, niggas took all kind of shit back from the dorm. <laughs> what? We, we was taking silverware and everything. I mean, we, we had a takeout line in the calf so you Straight could up. come and get your food and leave, like get it to go and leave. Straight oh, okay. up, straight up, but uh, so yeah, so around that time, um, you know, 99 poop, uh, ninth wasn't on campus like that. I would just kind of see him sporadically, but um, 98, he bring the Black Star album to my uh, room, we listened to it, and then in 99, he he shows back up. And by this time, we were in a new dorm, we were in the new residence, and so we had moved and we had like this little suite or whatever. And so he come and he like, yo, man, I got some joints I, I want to play for you. And I was like, and I, I was thinking he had like another unreleased album. And um, he plays, he puts the tape in and plays it. And I'm like, yo, this shit dope. Who is this? And he's like, yo, this is me. I said, word? I said, these, like, you made these beats? He was like, yeah, these joints. I said, well, what you make them on? He said, man, I just make them on Fruity Loops. Or, well, no, no, no. I'm sorry. It wasn't Fruit Loops at the time. This is even before Fruit Loops. He was using a program called... Um, Sony Acid? Called B- nah, this is even before Acid. It was called... It was a program called B-Box. And he was using B-Box and Cool Edit to make to make tracks. And I I mean, again, it was unheard of to me. I was like, nigga, what the fuck? Like, really? On a computer? And so... But he had some joints. And so um, one record he had, it was one beat he had... I said, man, you let me rap over this. He was like, all right, cool. I'm a, he said, you really want to rap? I said, yeah, let me rap over this joint. And um, I did a record called Paper Lines, and that was like 99. That was like the first song me and him ever did together. And um, I remember doing it. I played it for Pooh, played it for just Cats and our crew. They really, they really fucked with it. And that was, that was kind of when it all first started. So around the time... Um, by the time 01 rolled around, that was when the league had all, we was just recording so much shit together, and it was still just kind of loose. But um, by this time, we were had started work on a song. It was called Speed, and originally it was supposed to be me and Median. Um, Median never shows up to the studio, and so Pooh was there. I can't remember if you had rolled with me to the studio that night or. Yeah, I think I, I, think I, you I, rolled. I came up on the train and I rolled with you. Yeah, we came we came to the studio together and I was like I was like, Well shit, Pooh here, like you you wanna rock it? And he was like, Yeah, all right, I'll rock it. And so we did that song together and that was it. That was just like so yo, the speed we got I know. That was our first joint together. That was the very first song we ever yeah. put together. Wow. Oh shit. Okay. Okay. So it also explain to me who is in the Justice League. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Should I say Justice League? <laughs> no, 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 That that sigh was to remember the names. <laughs> it's, right. It's 15 of them. Uh, and, so let's, and also, let's, how do you how do you wrestle with that Justice League? And have y'all ever had a meeting, a collective meeting? Like, <laughs> what the um, fuck? I, I talked to Rook. I I haven't talked to Rook in some time. Rook from the Justice League, but um, it was it was always love. Yeah, on it our was end. love. 
Yeah, I, we man, at one point me and Rook was talking. This was years ago. He was like, "Yo, man, we need to do a, a Justice League meets Justice League. Like, let's let's collab, let's do some shit." And um, we were talking about doing it, but you know, it just never happened. But uh, it it was who, never no no smoking. Who nothing. was first? I think we were first. If, I think we I were first. Think, I think. I, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Anyway. So so Justice League members. Okay. So let's, let's we're gonna do this the easy way. Yeah, start with the niggas on the phone. Yeah, me and Tay. <laughs> <laughs> then you have Knight. Then you have Sean Don. You have Sean Bug. Crisis. Uh, Egg Allen Flow. A guy named Caesar, right? Oh. That's Cesar Comanche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight. I know him. Uh, Flash. Eccentric. Eccentric. Flash. Wow, Eccentric. I Mike Burr. Long time. And some dude named Big Doe. Legacy. Big Doe. Legacy, Legacy. 13. Nigga, who Wait, crisis? You, crisis? You, I, said, I said Crisis. You got Crisis? I said Crisis. And you shout out Edgar Allan Poe? And Edgar Allan Poe? Or yeah, Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Flow. Edgar Allan Flow. Edgar Allan Flow. I said Poe. Okay. Yeah, Edgar Allan Flow. The Raven. Nigga, I think that's it. I think. Nah, I think we forgetting. So it's 15. Who, we, who forgetting? We got Mike Burv. We got Eccentric. We got Son of Yorel. We got Son of Yorel. We got Burv. Got Cesar, we got Book. Cesar, Flo, Crisis. Book, Leg, Crisis. I think. Wait, what about think, the away? You said the away team? That's, yeah, that's Crisis, Crisis and Book. Crisis and Book. Yeah. Okay. I think we got everybody. Median. Median. Damn. Median. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Another dude that showed up intermittently. Like he would just vanish for like months at a time and then just pop back up. That was that's that's been Median's MO since I've known him. Everybody needs a Malik B in their life. <laughs> <laughs> Just shows up and blammo, here he is. That was him. That was him. So with with speed, like when is it the official like, okay, are we a group or was it just like okay, what what is this? I mean, is it like a relationship where you're like you know, like after the third date, then she's like, "Okay, so what, what are, are we? We? <laughs> <laughs> we are farmers." Dun, 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 dun. Um, for that, I, I think like a day or two later, like we all just kept listening to the song and noticed the chemistry, and said, "Hey, uh, this sounds good. Let's let's make a few more and see how it come out." And a few more turned into a whole last album. Okay, now I really want to. Now that I've established the story for those that are not familiar, now I want to get to my real first question. Okay, because even more than the roots, like okay, no, okay, granted, it's like eleven of us, but really the roots are two people, and it comes down to me and Tariq. And fifty fifty is a little bit more easier than thirty three and thirty three and third. Yeah, so. In the beginning, are you guys ever like what is the 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 democratic process of how decisions are made? Man, at that time, I mean, it was we had a, I think I thought was a fairly um, a good system uh, that got kind of you know corroded <laughs> over time. But um, but originally, you know, it was the three of us. It was me pulling knife. And Doe was our manager. So pretty much whenever it came down to do something, me pulling knife would discuss it internally. And it's three of us. So automatically somebody's going to lose. You know what I mean? Sometimes I lose, sometimes pull lose, knife lose, whatever. But whatever it was that we voted on, 
we would then go to our manager and be like, look, this is what we agreed on. This is what we're going to do. And that was it. Um, once Ninth left the group, that was when things changed and we no longer had that kind of third swing vote, so to speak. So that was when, uh, for me, I, I think just um, the group became very taxing because it was just so me and Pooh talking. Yeah, it was. But, yeah, particularly and hard as a twosome at that point because at that point in time, me and Pooh hadn't really – I don't think me and you had really talked like that about what we wanted and about nah, kind of at all. Like we didn't have none of them conversations. So we were just making a lot of them decisions on the fly. And, you know, when you don't have a third person there to kind of help smooth things over in some ways, um, it made it really hard. But in the beginning, that's what it was. It was the three of us. We make a decision and then just kind of told our manager what we wanted to do with it. So what were your initial goals for the listening? Was it like, okay, we'll have these collection of songs We'll try to get a major deal. You think it too much. <laughs> it was, let's do these songs, sell them ourselves, and see what happens. Yeah. Originally, we was going to do, um, we was going to put it out ourselves because I was on, um, I think I had like a credit card at that time. I had my little Discover card, and I was, we was on Disc Makers, and I was just running numbers. I'm like, yo, so... How much if we just press this shit ourselves and we moved out the trunk like I was, you know, doing it just in my mind and I was talking to Ninth about it cuz I remember we were in we were in the computer lab at uh at uh at NC State. So another fun fact about this time which I I'm just now remembering even though the listening was recorded on a computer, none of us had personal computers at that time. Oh. Like, none of us had personal computers. It's the Bill Gates story. Yo, bro, for real. Like, I didn't have a computer. Ah. Ninth ain't had one. Ninth was using, um, he was recording, we was recording at Cesar Comanche's crib, and he had a compact Presario. So, that was the computer. So, whenever I wanted to, whenever I wanted to get on, like, OK Player and shit, nigga, that was all computer lab. So, uh, my homie Median, he was a student at NC State, but, like, not really a student, but he had an ID. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so like, he was there you know we, u- we used his we used uh your rails yeah used, leroy uh we used his leroy's roommate uh yeah uh lewis jerome lewis that jerome nigga, like he was the he was the kappa nigga pretty 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 <laughs> lou when we used his john and um and then like when i was at central like that 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 my last year that was when i was on i was on the newspaper I was an editor. I was the arts and, and arts and entertainment editor on our newspaper, and so I would be in the computer lab all the time. You know, I, that's when I would get all my OK Player posts off. But after that, I mean, I was going home like nigga. We ain't had no computers at the crib. No so, smartphone. Shit, Tay didn't even have a cell phone at that time. Yeah, I don't think I got Dude. my first cell phone to probably like oh what four something like that, some shit like that. Yeah, three four. Yeah. Wait, um, boss Bill, cor- correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. No, this is literally the Bill Gates story. Bill Gates' story had a faulty ID that let him stay in the computer lab like 15 hours a time. To be in the computer lab during Bill Gates' day was like a taxing like Mm -hmm. $40 an hour thing. But he never got charged for it. So then he was like, all right, I'm going to stay in this motherfucker for 15 hours a day and figure out how to turn this big-ass room into a laptop. Mm. So basically sneaking in computer labs borrowing other people's id and whatnot 
This is the Bill Gates story. That's it. Well, I, I wish we made Bill Gates money, but uh, <laughs> really not. <laughs> but, you know, fate didn't have it that way. But uh, but nah, man, but that was it. We was just doing those records. So at that time, yeah, the thought wasn't, you know, at least for me, the thought, it was just, okay, we made this record. Let's just get it out so people can hear it. And, um, you know, it was just, um, I, like, I, I don't think no one had a thought of where it was going to go. Um, I knew my life was going to change. Like, I can specifically remember the night when we finished everything and like we had the final mix down and sequence of the album and I just sat outside my apartment in the car just listened to the record and um I just I, I knew things were gonna change I just felt that we had something special it, it wasn't like you know yo we gonna be rich or we gonna be whatever but I specifically remember having the feeling of just like yo like something is around the corner I don't know what it is but I know something's coming and um at that time we just wanted people to hear it. That was the only. That was the only uh, mo. What was the first sign of that of that assurance? Was it like your first out out of state show? Was it like an uh, mention in the source or like what was that moment where it's like oh shit this is um, about to happen? I think for me it was when uh, when Benny B got in touch with us um, just to have Benny somebody B. Benny B from ABB Records. Okay. Um, so oh, that was not your label. No, no, no not at all. No, no, not at all. Not See, at I always all. thought that ABB was your. Okay, nah, no. ABB was Benny B uh, from the Bay Area. They um, they had put out like a lot of dilated people's twelve inch. That was kind of their claim to fame. Uh, dilated mm-hmm. people's the Far Ride. They had put out like a, just a lot of stuff, and they were known for just moving vinyl. Yeah, and uh, that was how uh, a buddy of ours, a promoter out this way, Bum Rush, DJ Bum Rush. Uh, he had a connect at ABB uh, in Davis, a uh, cat yeah. named ID. And ID heard our stuff on the net from all of us. We had posted it on uh, OK Player and all that shit. And um, we had the little site. That was when Boss Bill had the join. He had the <laughs> he had his site. He had posted up the joints up on there. So it was just kind of spreading. And so IG, ID from ADB, ABB caught wind of it and reached out to Bum Rush and was like, yo, you got a line on these little brother dudes? And um, – ID called my crib, you know what I'm saying, one day, and that's how we started talking, and that was how the ABB relationship, uh, that was how we came to sign with them. So, Bill, were you the OK Player that officially introduced OK Player to, or introduced Little Brother to OK Player? Uh, I I guess, but I mean, I got it through Von P from currently a Tanya Morgan, and like Von hooked me up with Eccentric, and Eccentric sent me uh, like the Beats for Love Joint Revisited, and like so, I was an, I was a Ninth Wonder fan first, and then I didn't even know about these two until later. Like I think I heard Speed and Away from Me, like maybe not maybe like a week or two after that. Yeah. And then I was like, damn, what is yeah. this shit? Slot so, Funk Dust too. He was yeah. another one. He he was the one that really because again we had no computers, let alone a way to build a website or none of that shit. So mm-hmm. Slot was the one that had he had built like a little site for us, and he was like, yo, I can put some joints up for y'all. I was like, cool. And I was working at Blue Cross Blue Shield at the time, and he would call me. You know, uh, we would we would he would well he would DM me or PM me as we would call it back then. And he was like, "Yo, man, like y'all joints just crashed my server. I gotta like everybody been coming to this shit." I was like, "Word for real?" And we just had like three, four songs up there. So Slop was a big um, a big part of that. Where was it? You and Ninth, or you and Pooh, or were you alone? Were you I don't think I was that. Pooh? I went. That, I, I went to the Greensboro show. I didn't go to that one. 
Okay. All I remember was that we were doing a show and it was about to rain and and said we should cancel the show because it's electric and mm-hmm. whatever and I'm like, dude, you wear Timberlands. Like no one's you ain't getting electrocuted. <laughs> and he like protested. I think he didn't play the show or like walked off stage earlier or something shit. And I felt bad and I did some very uncharacteristic like I'm I'm never the guy that like goes in the audience and like, Hey, how you doing? Thanks for you know. But some said say, All right, go out there and shake hands for the first time in your whole career. And I did it and you put it in my hand. You reminded me that this was the little brother I read about on OK Player. Oh wow. Wow. Okay. And normally you know, normally anybody hands me a disc is instant, uh, you know, coffee table uh, coaster for me. Weed plate. <laughs> Frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to break up my drawer on your CD, nigga. No. I, just, I just throw it in the trash. So. Right. No, I, I'm, I, I can't do that. I just leave it back backstage. I don't know. Like, I'm kind of proud of my track record. Like, something... I was going to leave it backstage, and I looked at it, and I don't know if it was the fact that your handwriting, like the 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 your 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 font or whatever you real did, bootleg. <laughs> yeah, some spoke to me. I'm like, yo, he really put some effort into this homemade uh, <laughs> this artwork. Man. I was like, and I went back, picked it up, and li- listened to it. And I was like, holy shit! Like, I'm borderline jealous of this. Like, I like this shit. Thank you, man. And and like. Yeah, like I'll I'll say that I've only, you know, Jill, Bilal, Slum Village, um, Cody Chestnut, and you guys. Um, I'm sure I'm missing somebody else, but like, something told me to listen to that shit, and that shit like, that changed my life, man. Thank you, man. Because Thank like you. I I personally didn't think I would, at that time I was concerned because there was the idea of a group existing was becoming uh endangered and listen an endangered yeah. species and i was like yo a real group not not a bunch of soloists and you know from there then i just saw the the word spread and spread and spread so when it like what was the decision to not go the slow and steady route and like let's get a real let's get a deal through atlantic and poverty <laughs> uh, so as your own record label all right so what is it back then what was what were the 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 roadblocks and the potholes in being your own record label uh shit uh we, you, you didn't have yeah distribution you didn't have direct to consumer back then um but i i think for for i i can speak for me on this my decision I think if ABB, if that experience would have been a better experience for us, it wouldn't have been a thing of, well, man, let's go get this deal. We'd have been like, it would have been more like, shit, we good where we at. But the experience wasn't good. Because we didn't get paid. So, yeah, yeah, that makes the experience terrible. We still haven't gotten paid. (laughs) So, can I ask? Let me ask. Let me ask. All right. So, that that came out in what, 2002, 2003? Yeah. 2003. Uh, Okay. So had technology as we know now in 2020 been available in 2002, 2003, mm-hmm. would this have been a different outcome? 
Very yeah. different. Very yeah. different. I wouldn't have fucked. Personally, I wouldn't have fucked with no label had we had it. You know, had, had we back then, you know, we already had the means of our own production. So we owned our means of production. We could make it ourselves. You know, if we had a, a straight pipeline and we could get it directly to our fans and see the money back, man, fuck a label. Straight up. Hmm. But that okay. was but Pooh, not but you made a, a great point, you know, when you you know, you ask about what made us make that jump. You know, I, I really think and agree a hundred percent that had if our indie experience would have been better and we would have actually been like paid fairly and you know, according to our contract, if we would have actually been compensated for our work on an indie label, um, I think we would have been uh, much more hesitant about signing to a major. But at that time, you know, we, we put out the records and, you know, you're hearing all this buzz and, you know, everybody's saying, oh, man, y'all about to blow up, y'all do this, whatever. So then Atlantic comes knocking, and it was a bunch of labels that wanted to sign us at that time. But um, Who had Atlantic and so that kind of out? fit. Uh, well, Mike Karen reached out first, but we, we, were, we were told we got the yeah. word not to deal with him. Um, so like we ended up, we met with Warner, we met with Jive, um, and then Interscope. No, no, Interscope. we met, it no, was no, Warner. It, it was Warner. And then it and was then, Warner. Cause it's Tom Wiley. That's when we met Tom Wiley. Tom Wiley. We met with, um, rest in peace, Chris Lighty and Peter Theo over at Jive. Lighty tried to throw something at y'all? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chris Lighty, man. He came Dave, to the, um, Dave Lighty and took me and Tay out to the club. <laughs> <laughs> took us to the crab and I, house and to the Chris club. Lighty? Yeah, Chris man. Lighty, bro. Chris Lighty. So the thing was, man, I'll never forget this shit, man. I remember being in there and um cause this is around the time of Chris Lighty like G unit hollering yes, on records, sir. Chris Lighty, right? Right. So right. so the thing was, man, so we went into the meeting. We had a meeting at Jive, and you know, Chris Lighty comes in. And we're all sitting there at the table. It's Chris Lighty. It's uh, it's me, Pooh, Doe, our manager at the time, and uh, Wayne Williams, DJ Wayne Williams out of Chicago. They're, they're, we're all sitting in there. Yes. Wayne so, Williams from R. Kelly yes, ring? Yes. 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 Wow. yes. Yeah. R. Kelly, right. Chosen few DJs, Wayne Williams. You know what I'm saying? So he's <laughs> in there. And so, man, so we 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 talking and stuff. And, and I remember Chris saying, he was like, you know, man, I listened to y'all album. And he's like, yo, it tells a whole story. He's like, it's not just singles. He's like, you know, it tells a whole story. And, you know, I really think I love what you guys are doing. I think, you know, we can push it. And I was just sitting there. I was like, wow. And he was like, you know, man, I remember he's like, he was talking about 50. And he was like, you know, the whole thing with 50 was get ready to root for the bad guy. That was our whole marketing scheme. And I was like, yeah, it's like the movie Payback. And he was like, yo, I like this guy. I like this guy. You know, like, it was, it was funny. He was like, yo, I like this guy. And uh, I said, yeah, it was like that. He was like, yeah. He's like, you know, that was my whole thing with 50. And he said, but I really like y'all. He said, y'all are, like, different from everything else that's out. And y'all really cut through the clutter. And um, he was talk. He started talking about his time at Def Jam. I'll never forget this shit. He was like, yo, he said, man, you know, when I was at Def Jam, he said, you know, I was fresh off the Mr. Smith album, so I was the prince of Def Jam. He was like, I could do whatever I wanted. He said, and so the next record I signed was this, this record called Crew. Now, me, you know, the hip-hop fucking rap nerd, I'm like, nigga, Crew? I'm like, yeah, Dirty 30, I love that fucking album. And he again, he was like, yeah, I like this guy. I like this guy. I'll never give a say this shit. So, you know, I like this guy. I said, nah, man, Dirty 30, that was the shit. 
and he said something. He's like, I never forget it. He said, Yeah. He said, Man, I love that record too, but just because you love something, don't mean it's gonna sell. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Damn, that's uh. the fucking truth. But um, but yeah, man, he was he. I, I you know that was just my only encounter with Chris. But I really liked him, man. I, I fucked with Chris. He was a straight shooter. You know, he um, you know, he, that's where we wanted to go. We wanted. Um, that's where we wanted to go for real. Because you, you remember, Job was like they wanted to just re-release the listening first, and, th- and that was the problem. Yeah. They wanted <laughs> oh, to re- because they it, it, them re-releasing the listening means they now take some ownership, if not all ownership, of the album. And Benny B from ABB wasn't giving that album up. He wasn't giving that album up. And oh, we basically, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, we you we don't own the listening. I get right, it. Now. We right. we had to go. We essentially had to go. Where he was comfortable going, that's how we ended up at Atlanta. Or we would have yeah. never went to Atlanta. And the only reason I think, well, I won't say the only reason, but I know a big reason why he chose Atlantic was because Atlantic let him keep his vinyl rights. So right. Atlantic let him continue to press the all the LB vinyl, but they retained the rights for everything else. And so that was how we ended up at Atlantic. That's almost unprecedented. I never did heard he, of that. Did he press anything up for the second album other than loving it twelve inch? There was a minstrel show vinyl, I think. There was minstrel show vinyl, and I think it was a, uh, it was another single. I gotta look through my records. I think it was oh, another um, single. Um, shit. It, it was, was say it again. Uh, say it again. Yeah. Say it again. Yeah. I think it was yeah. say it again. Yeah. And then, and then he reissued uh, the listening in the mystery show a couple uh, of years ago. This is like a year or two ago. Yeah, he reissued. Yeah. yeah. D- didn't he have a courtesy to send us any of this fabulous reissued <laughs> vinyl? Like, damn, you already ain't paying this Playboy. You at least could have wow. gave us some vinyl. <laughs> Shit, That's, that gold vinyl look good. It looks, it looks snazzy, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, I, I, I have to ask you a question, which is like, like I know as not not trite, but as you know, as it not meaning something today as it once meant back in the 90s but did it mean anything to you to see those four and a half mics in the source hell yeah yes yes it meant everything yeah everything yeah seeing the four and a half seeing you know we got four on the listening um because again this was something that you know this is pre like you know social media you know right before the blogs took over yeah yeah so i mean we were literally hearing about this. So it would be like, yo, your word is that y'all got four in the store. It's like, what, nigga, what? And then you see it. I remember like going to the, you know, grocery store and buying the source and you see it and it's like, holy shit, like this is really, it's a real thing. And um, and I got like the hip hop quotable and that to me was like, holy shit. Cause I grew up. Wait a minute, what'd you get quotable for? I got it twice. I got it one, the first time I got it was for the yo-yo, and then the second time I got it was Uh, for my verse on uh, All For You, off of Minstrel Show. And that, to me, was just like, man, holy shit. You know, that was a moment. So, yeah, that shit meant a lot back then. That shit meant a whole lot. Yeah, I try to act like four and a half mics don't mean nothing. Like, psh, fuck this sword. But you know, it's, it's, it's still it's still hanging on my wall. <laughs> nah, four and a half. Yo, four and a half is the real five. I mean, me and you yeah. talked about this a lot, but yes, four and a half exactly. is the real five. It is. It is absolutely. All right, y'all. You know what season it is? Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. 
And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So with... In hindsight, how was the the minstrel show experience? Because there was so much expectations and so much was happening. I meant like Hove was co-signing you guys. Like everybody was like all the stars were aligned. Like (laughs) at the end of the day, what happened? Man. So, have you been watching the 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 the, the Last Dance Bulls documentary? <laughs> uh, I just got done watching it. Okay, so <laughs> I watched it at eight o'clock this morning. Okay, yeah. so so the thing about it is like, at the time we only knew what we saw, so it was just like you just see the you know them going for the, the you know the third championship in a row for the second time, but you don't see all all of the underlying stuff that's going on during that time and just like yo the concentration them the motherfuckers had was amazing and i look at the mystery show I, it wasn't that dramatic but it was dramatic enough for us you know i was 24 25 years old at the time hadn't really experienced a lot and we're trying to record this album major label trying to keep maintain our sound dealing with our own shit as a group at the time, because that was when the group really started to splinter during that time. And so you got all that happening. And then you have this album that people at the label say they're excited for. But 
you know there's some trepidation because of the title and nobody you know, all the white people they don't want to deal with this shit now you know that <laughs> oh <laughs> let me ask okay so is this uh Craig Kelman or or Julie this or is like what what era of Atlantic is this it's Craig this and Julie Craig and Julie when 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 Def Jam and took over is Atlantic Lior there yes and Lior's Lior, there Lior Kevin it's 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 right it's at the takeover it's it's at the Def Jam takeover of Warner and um, okay. so the real problem started before the ink was dry on our contract with Atlantic. Robert Reef Tulo was getting. If you say his whole name, then this might not be good. He, he, <laughs> I was going to say, was, it was, was Reef there? Because he would seem like your biggest man. Well, I love he, Reef. He, he, started, he, he started there. And then when we went into his office after the deal was done, we saw all the boxes in there. <laughs> <laughs> and he was on the way out, bro. It was it was it was nothing more telling than we pulled up for a meeting one time, and we we walking into the building in New York. We walk into the building, and Rob and Reef is coming in at the same time, and he waiting at the desk. We're about to go upstairs. We like, yo, what you doing? He's like, man, I gotta wait to get to get let up. Our A and R, right? Because he oh, was no. no longer. They let him. Get A and R of the album, but he wasn't no long. He was no longer employed. Mans was not an employee of Atlantic Records. Not an employee. Like he was a consultant. And this how you this how you finding out? Yes, yes. Found out. We found out. Reef was fired when we came. Just like Boozette, we came to the building. And you know, we realized that he had to get buzzed in, just like we had to get buzzed. And we like, what the fuck? So then we get up to his office. (laughs) And we see all the boxes and shit. We like, nigga, like you really fired out this bitch. And you know, and he was. I mean, I actually funny thing. We actually saw Reef in New York like last year. We was kind of doing our press run. And uh, I mean, it's all love. I mean, it's you know, right. it was you know. I mean, everybody had to do what they had to do at that time. So it, it was no like hate or nothing like that. It was it was it was all love. But um, but yeah, he, Reef bounced. That was when he bounced. I think he went to Shady, right? Pooh, he went to or he yeah, was doing. He went- I think he. I know he ended up over at uh, Shady Shade Four Five, but it, it was just one of them things where we we're in the building, we're new. They don't know what to do with us, really, because um, we're unlike what they have or what they what they had, and we don't have an A and R. Our marketing guy James Lopez, who now runs the Will Packer Productions, yeah. uh, so James Lopez was marketing. He ended up being our marketing, our A and R, our cheerleader. Our, <laughs> he was all we had. Him and our, uh, our Ronnie Johnson. Punch bag, Ronnie Johnson. Rest in peace to Ronnie rest Johnson. Peace. Wait, can I ask? Is was Rig Morales there yet, or was this before he came to it? Riggs nah, was Rig came later. later. Cause, cause, he was like a Jay, year Riggs, Jay, Jay Brown ended up being there right before we left because Jay Brown was um, Lupe's A and R. this like. The Hollywood shuffle of music, like literally, Def Jam and Shady are just—that's all it was. Switching yeah. characters, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, shout man, out to Julie too, man. Ju- Julie always was in our corner, and she and she was with whatever. Like as long as we came in and showed her that we was passionate about what we wanted to do, she was with it. So yeah, shout out to Julie Greenwald. Okay, so I love the title, The Minstrel Show, but. Humor me. Why did you decide to go with the minstrel show? Because we couldn't call it nigga music. <laughs> 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 Woo! Real shit. No, that was real 
was real yeah, shit. Was, you wanted to call that? We wanted to call it. We was Steve's like, man, what we call this shit? Nigga music. And that was like the run. We were with it. I think that might have lasted for like three weeks. And then we realized, okay, we can't call it out. That. They're not going to let us do that. We, we <laughs> didn't even think they were going to let us do Mystery Show. <laughs> But, but we but we nigga, had nigga music in the pocket. It's like, well, you yeah. know, we did want to call it nigga music. Like, to make so, the mission oh, sound this better. better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is better. Wait, was there any red flags? Like, wait a minute, I don't know, because oftentimes I'll have to explain to white people what minstrelsy is, mm-hmm. and they never know what it is, and then like they're already in the middle of, you know, the swamp. So like. Man, what were people thinking at the time? Man, at the time, I think they were. I mean, the one thing I got to give Atlantic credit for, you know, they let us do us. And so, my 100%. main thought in in going into the minstrel show, particularly once we, you know, signed to Atlantic, my whole thing was we got to show our fans that we can still do us on a major label, because around that time, um, you know, signing to a major label. Uh, in a lot of ways, it was kind of the kiss of death. You know what I mean? If you heard that your favorite band signed to a big label, the first thing as a music fan is your mind is like, oh, man, Interscope about to fuck they shit up. Atlanta about to fuck they shit right. up. You know what I'm saying? So our whole thing was, well, man, first and foremost, we got to show our fans that we can still be us, you know, unapologetically us on a major label. And so... Atlantic, they stood behind that. You know, it was a gamble. Um, and, you know, and they let us, the record that y'all hear, that is the exact record that we took out of our computer <laughs> in, in, in Durham and put out to the world. And, you know, from the stories I've heard just from so many cats on, uh, you know, labels, that is something that rarely happened. Certainly didn't, wasn't happening back then, you know what I'm saying? And um, we learned... Was it out using... Real facilities this time around? Nah, or? this was the same thing. It was the same. We still recorded that one. I think by this time, we wasn't recording in Comanche's crib no more. Um, nah. We had, we, we had the chop shop by that point. Yeah, we, we actually had an office space that we dubbed the studio, and that's what but we But it was recorded. the same shit. It was yeah, a computer, it was same, a mic. Same setup. Same setup. Yeah. Just a, a, a communal space and not someone's apartment. Yeah, but it was the exact same setup. We had a computer. We had... Uh, we had a mic. We used the. We had monitors. We had monitors. Was that yeah, like real yeah, monitors? The, <laughs> the, the same. The same mic that I have in my my setup right now is the mic we recorded okay. the mystery show. Get back, all that on. But mix wise, uh, Guru mixed it at a real at baseline. He mixed it at yeah, baseline. He mixed yeah. it at baseline. Um, okay. That was probably like the only kind of upgrade, I guess. You know what I mean? Just that, you know, goo, he makes that baseline. But everything else, man, that shit was straight out of our, our computers. And, um, you know, that was that was what it was. And I think we learned a valuable lesson, too. You know, when you ask about, you know, what was the climate like in terms of us calling it the minstrel show or whatever. Um, I don't even know if the people around, if the, if, you know, the Julie and Craig and all them, I don't even think they got too much into the politics of it. I think they were just like, yo, this is something new. These guys are buzzing. Let's just throw it out and see what happens. And um, one of the things that we learned that, you know, me and Pooh learned and, and Pooh is even doing now, like in his uh, career as a manager, you know, we we were very self-contained. So we came to a label and in our mind, we thinking like, yo, we got our artwork done. We got our music done. We know who we want to master. Like, we came in with all that shit already. And in our minds, it's like, yo, we're making the job of the label easier. But 
what really happens is that you don't have anyone to root for you because they don't have no one can lay a claim to your success. Yeah, like no have, one can say they're not personally invested. They're not personally invested in it. They got no right. investment. They got no skin in the game. So you know that's one of the things that for us it was like hell yeah. But it ended up being a liability when trying to come into the major label system because everybody is trying to look for a leg up. Every A&R nigga want to be VP. Every mailroom nigga want to be an A&R. So everybody's looking for that thing to hold on to that's going to be the star to take them somewhere else. And if they can't mm-hmm. hitch their wagon to your star, then they don't give a fuck. Now, I still remember we gave Sycamore so much we gave him the petty that babyface gave teddy riley the other night <laughs> like sycamore down with uh uh sycamore's uh the dj sycamore um okay he was yeah. with, was it with clue or what who did he run with i was it clue i don't remember who he ran with i just know he was he was fresh he was fresh a and r over there and because the crazy thing is um hip-hop wanted to be our a and r but Craig Coleman wouldn't let us go over with, with Hop because Hop and G had the office over there. And Hop was like, yo, give me them. Give me Saigon. And it was somebody else. And Craig Coleman wouldn't do it. So he ended up giving us the Sycamore. And I remember us going to New York. We was working on, I think but we were getting ready. Get Back. It was, yeah, yeah, it became Get Back. And we went up there. And we just had, we was just so off putting the Sycamore, man. Like, man, we know what the fuck we doing, man. I don't even know why we up here with you, dog. Taking us all around, all these producers and shit. Nigga, we don't need these niggas. Like, we I just remember that want, attitude man. that we had, man. And I was like, just like like he said, just thinking back on it as as a manager now with an artist that signed to Dreamville and Interscope and another one on uh, indie label Mellow Music. I just, I understand now how off-putting we were and we didn't right. even allow them to treat us like stars like that was a big thing i noticed as well because we were so self-contained we didn't allow them to to pamper us if you will and and that it is very off-putting to to label folk i have yeah, learned because they because <laughs> the thing is man like and, and another thing too like i just kind of saw is like how much the the record industry, you know, at that time, and I mean, even certainly now, how much it perpetuates dysfunction and how much it requires that shit in order to remain a business model. Because, you know, like we were saying earlier, you know, what made us sign the deal? Nigga was poverty. Like, niggas was broke and shit. So, like, when I saw... You know, you know, a couple weeks ago, months ago, whatever, when um when Meg was going through that shit with her label and all that shit came out, and they were talking about Meg Thee Stallion mm-hmm. and her deal, and everybody was just, oh well, you know, why don't you just get a lawyer and why don't you just get right. this and like his ladies, yeah, and it's like nigga, you don't understand the, the the consequences that the artists are living in when they sign these fucking contracts. You know what I mean? It's hard to think two, three years down the line when. Nigga, rent is about to be due on the first. So, you know what I mean? So you you can't, you know, the 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 circumstances under which you sign this shit, you know, the, the record industry, the shit is the shit is pretty much a goddamn glorified payday loan. You know what I mean? It's it's <laughs> it's more predatory lending right. than anything else. It, you know what I mean? So poverty and dysfunction, that shit is baked into their business model. So in a lot of ways, 
it, it again it becomes a liability if you're an artist that is self-contained know what you want show up on time do your job just do it whatever because at that point they have nothing they can't control you with nothing and we were those dudes like we just didn't give a fuck we was just like yo we make the music we want to make if we don't get this look or that look or that look who fucking cares but so when you're a part of that bureaucracy you can't be like that so let me ask if if say uh the outcome of the minstrel show turned out to be more rosier than what happened uh would we would you guys have delved into your next step which was like uh i mean for Pooh was like the sleepers project um fonte you're you're making uh foreign exchange uh with nicolay like you're doing these side projects still committed to the well i mean then there's ninth's departure so his leaving yeah. to do more uh production and whatnot like your your next step was splintering up and taking a break for a while but had the outcome been different would you guys have even charted off into that territory or the 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 outcome the funny thing is the outcome of the minstrel show didn't even weigh in because the first foreign exchange and my album my sleepers album were done they was already done before yeah that was done Wait, before I thought, that. okay i thought minstrel was 2000 it was five 2005 four 2005 okay okay my yeah bad. my solo my and, sleepers um, came out in february of 05 um I forgot and, when that first uh, one connected came out in 04. It was it was 04, like fall yeah. 04, I want to say. Yeah. And we were working on those records like with each other. So yeah. um, it was never a thing of like, you know, if Pooh's like, I'm working on a record, I, I need a verse for it. All right, cool. I jump on it. He jumped on, you know, foreign exchange records. So there was always um, you know, me just kind of being a student of the game, I always saw that groups that allowed themselves to kind of do their own thing they seem to yeah. work a lot better you know what i mean like even with like gangstar was kind of my example where preem was doing remixes for everybody but mm-hmm. guru had jasmine Taz. like that was his own thing that he did and then they came together and do gangstar and so that was always my thought so when it came for us doing side projects and solo stuff um even with ninth with all the stuff he was doing we were all very much a part of that and we we championed that Okay, so without making this you guys' uh, <laughs> audio obituary. <laughs> so, so then you... All right, so I, I actually want to cut in Tarantino this, skipping the future. Because I don't know the story of after me begging and begging and publicly begging... Uh, we've we've talked about this story before on the Solange episode of me trying to yeah. will a little brother uh, reunion into existence. But what was the straw that at least that unbroke the camel's back for you to be like, okay, like what? You, you down? You down? Like, um, what was? Th- I think it was just us becoming friends. <laughs> like, well, straight we up, ju- we we just had to take time to. After we didn't speak for a while, we just had to take time to just become friends. And um, that just really, and and honestly, like for almost two years, we didn't discuss making no music together. (laughs) We didn't discuss 
it was more like, yo, how how you doing in life? Like, what's going on in your life? And then eventually, once we did that show, the next day, it was just, it was unspoken. Like, I went to Tay House to pick my money up. And he was like, yo, I'm cooking. He said, I'm cooking. I said, I'll stay. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not going to turn down the free meal. And we just was talking before everybody else pulled up. And it was just one of them things. It was like, man, how you feel? It was like, shit, I feel good. How you feel? Okay, so now yeah. I want to go back a little. How hard is it to walk away? Because for me, I know for me and Tariq, like, yes, we were birds of a feather, best friends in high school, spending night at each other's couches, you know, whatever, do everything together. And then we start a business with each other. And we're just slowly now, mm-hmm. we're just slowly now, now that we're inching to 50, we're slowly now inching back to where we were when we were 14 and 15. But there was a period between ages 23 to 47 <laughs> in which we were very committed business partners. And it was like, no matter what, this group is not dying, which doesn't make for good chemistry if you're, you know, if you're making creative products. So it's Staying like... Staying together for the kids. Yeah, is... is <laughs> did <laughs> you feel exactly like a sense of is. defeat? Did you feel a sense of, like, a dream deferred once it was like, okay, this group is officially a wrap and just put it on the shelf and you'll go that way and I'll go this way? Um... um I'll let you go, Pooh. Oh, uh, I, I think for me, that didn't hit till later. Um, at the time when we stopped speaking, I think I was right. just, I was so pissed. And I think we were so just frustrated at just a bunch of things and, and turn each other that right. it was more like, well, fuck that shit. I'm going to show this nigga. And later on for real it started to really sink in like yo whoo i think we fucked up but it's too late to turn back now we, yeah we, it we was down, right. we down this path <laughs> yeah it was i didn't realize it i think you know at the time when when we you know just said fuck it um i was just tired you know what i mean and and i i just you know we had spent so many years just kind of in a pressure cooker together just album mixtape tour mixtape album tour and um i was just fucking exhausted man and uh so at the time when we said you know it was over i was like okay well you know we hadn't really been you know because because a lot of people ask well if the record if you think if the record would have sold better y'all would have stayed together the thing about it at the time when we broke up in old well ninth left at 07 and then we improved Twenty ten. Twenty eleven. Like yeah. twenty ten. At that time, that was when we were seeing some of our best shows. So, you know, after get back, that was when we got a really big black audience. <laughs> so yeah. our shows were still going up. Like I, you know, we were doing really good business on the road. And you know, we could have kept, you know, going out there and getting that money, but I think it was a combination of just um exhaustion and then just it wasn't fun like we just weren't enjoying each other we weren't enjoying the experience um we were literally just coming on stage just rap 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 and then we would go off in two separate directions and um 
for for me, you know, um, I mean, you know, you, you got to make money. Money is important. But the minute this shit start feeling like a job, nigga, I'm gone. I didn't get in this shit because I wanted to work a job. I could have kept my job. You know, I got in this to, you know, make a living and be around people I love and us build something together. And once the shit became work, it was like, man, fuck this. I, and for me, it was, like I said, it was just, I think for me, it was just hard just looking at the, the scene at the time. And it was like, yo, this shit is wide open. This is what we fought all them fucking years for is to get to this point And we got here. We're the man in the cave that all we had to do was hit that, take that pitchfork and hit that dirt one more time. And the diamond we was there. All the diamond. Yeah. But we turned around and walked away. We're that, we're that guy. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's how I felt. Just, just how everything turned around. And I was just like, damn, we, we, we missed an opportunity there. Um, but like you said, man, we just exhausted, man. Just with right. each other, with the situation, with just everything. It was just like, man, I just need time to go be free over here by myself or doing some other shit. And for and, me, uh, Get Back, well, that was our last album. We owe ABB. And after that, that was like freedom. I felt freedom in a way that I hadn't felt in a long time. And that was when I made, I was like, nigga, fuck a label. Like, fuck, we out this deal. We free of Atlantic ABB. Man, fuck this shit. And um, that was when me and Nick formed uh, FE Music after that. Okay. All right. So everyone that listens to the show knows Fonte's disdain for me holding on tightly to politically correct non-gotcha questions. <laughs> Uh-oh. Go in, son. We can talk about whatever. We in the age of the Rona, nigga. <laughs> 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 well, they, they ain't hold it back now. Shit. <laughs> the age of the Rona. So, should I will publicly into the future a reunion of the original unit of this group? Well, I can tell you this. Damn, you already start. Okay, uh, you can, <laughs> you can, you can, you can say out loud and put into the air as much as you want, brother Amir. I can tell you what ain't gonna happen. Listen, but wait, just hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. I listen. Hear me out. I know my answer already, but I listen because I believe. Okay, for those that never heard the Solange episode, I went on Twitter. I think in uh, I was Lisa at Fallon at the time. It's so like, what was 20, like 2010? 12, 13. It nah. Uh, it was, this was later than that. This was uh this was about twenty. Oh, this about this, 20, so this, this 11, when you and Solange got into it, Tay. This when you and Solange right. got into yeah. it. Oh yeah, yeah that, that so, was that was about twelve thirteen ish. I yeah. decided, you know what? I'm gonna will. I'm gonna publicly will a little brother reunion for the greater good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the road to hell is paved with great intentions. Facts. So I put it. I put a tweet out there. I was like, I want little, I forget the, the, the exact wording, but it's like, I'm willing a little brother reunion because damn it, I need it. And, you know, Fonte kind of did the, uh, you remember when Chappelle I tried just, to walk uh, away, JFK man. To- I was like, nah, man, chill. Don't do that, chill. I, I tried, <laughs> I tried, I tried to defuse the bomb. And, and- well, you did it like, yo, man, my wife and my wife was here. Like, 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 nigga, what are you doing? Like that sort of thing. <laughs> right, right, right. He gave an, ex- right. <laughs> he gave an example 
of like, yo, man, this is like me putting out there like you and Solange and da 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 da. And then Solange saw her name says, wait, wait, me and Amir, what? And then it caused. Yeah, <laughs> what a time. I saw, I saw all that. I saw all the fireworks. Nigga. <laughs> pow, pow, pow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but me and Pooh whole... weren't even talking at that time. We, uh, we weren't even talking at that time, but that shit went off. That shit was crazy. My whole point was that this still happened. And you said it would never happen. So that's so if it. That never happened. Is it a possibility? What were you of- saying, Pooh? I'm, oh, back, so I'm, back back to my answer. That was a nice story. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the thing, Poo, man. This is this Poo with the baby face shade. Yeah, this this is the thing. We when we came back this time, we realized the fundamental differences as men, and you can't get past that. Facts. Like he is who he is. We are who we are. And we see things differently than the way he does. And it the clarity is there. And that's just it. Like, because for me, I, what I, the thing I always said about Little Brother, even when we weren't talking, when we weren't making music, the magic in the music was that it was our relationship. It wasn't the fact that Tay dope, I'm dope, Night Beats were dope. It's our relationship. It's the way we approach records, the way we made records, you can hear the joy in the records. In in our later records, you can start to not hear that joy. Yeah, and little by little, yeah. Little by little, it was gone. And so when we came back to do, which ended up being Made a Little Watch, me and Tay had a talk. And it basically was like, listen, man, we here to do this for each other. We here to have fun doing this shit. And nigga, anything... More than that, we ain't. It's whatever. Like we ain't here for it. And we realized very quickly that we saw things that way. He did not. And so it's just like, yo, we good. Like we're we're good. Like I, we're good. When when's the last time you guys have spoken to Ninth? Twenty eighteen. The twenty. For me, it I was, talked to him more than you. It was yeah. twenty. Yeah, bro, it was twenty eighteen. You was 2018. For me, it was 2019. It was March oh, yeah. 2019. Yeah, because it was around the time Nip died. And yeah. 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 March but the, yeah, it was March 2019. But yeah, for me, yeah, 2018. The, la- the last time we actually saw each other, like saw, saw each but, other, was, was when the we night did we that performed. Gig yeah. At, the, uh, the comeback at, gig. At uh, Cool Festival. Yeah. So August 2018, that was the last time we saw each other. And that performance was just someone saying, hey, uh, who was missing? Who was supposed to Royce? Royce. The show, Royce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Royce missed. And and, uh, who was the person that was the point person? Who reached out to who? It was uh, so it was uh, my man Suleiman uh, Mossy. He's a uh, promoter, and he runs now. He uh, owns the uh, Art of Cool Festival, which is a music festival that goes on down here in uh, in right. Durham. And uh, Royce missed his flight. And me and Suleiman, you know, we had a, a working relationship. He had booked Foreign Exchange a bunch of times. So we knew each other just, you know, over the years. And so he reached out to me and was like, yo, man, Roy Smith's flight. Do you want to do a solo set? And I'm literally at home in, you know, a T-shirt and my boxers just like doing nothing. <laughs> and uh, I said, I, well, let me check and see if it's even possible. Um, so I ended up making the calls. I called, reached out to Flash, who was my tour GJ uh, first he didn't get an answer for him. So then I reached out to Ninth 
And me and Knife had been hanging in Durham that previous night. So I hit him. I was like, hey, man, um, Suleiman hit me about wanting to do this this show. You know, would you would you DJ for me? And he was like, yeah, I'll DJ for you. And I said, man, you know what would be crazy? Man, what if we get Pooh involved in this shit? And he was like, oh, hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was he was super reluctant about it. But, um, you know, I, I you know, kind of twisted his arm. And he was like, all right, cool. You know, I'll do it. And I called Pooh and hit Suleiman back. And we got everything sorted out. And so that all came together within a matter of three, four hours. I mean, it was super, super fast. And um, that was it. I mean, that was kind of what started it. And that was the last time you know, we saw each other. And at the end, and at the end, it wasn't like, yo, I enjoyed that. It was awesome. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, the, the, funny, the funny part about it was foreshadowing in life. I didn't see him <laughs> when it was over. Um me and Tate, no, no lie, no bullshit. Like me and Tate walked back up to the to the to the RVs, which were our trailers, and he didn't because he went down there to the stage before we did, and he didn't go back up when we went up. And I ain't seen him since we walked off that stage. We took like two pictures together, and then I was like, man, fuck this, I ain't got to stay down here taking all these pictures. I'm going I'm going upstairs to get drunk, like, and Tate was like, nigga, I'm going upstairs too, and <laughs> we went upstairs and. I didn't. I haven't seen him since. <laughs> like, no lie, no right, cap, man. as the young people say, no yeah. cap. <laughs> not a cap, not a cap at all. No cap, no fedora, no none of that shit. Because he, all right, man. He, he Twenty twenty two. I'm getting y'all oh, life Lord. coach. We don't need one, man. We good. <laughs> nah, yeah. not for this. I mean, if you want to have nah, a life coach, just talk about childhood trauma and shit like that. We talk about that. Yeah, that's, that's something totally different. Not, we good on this. <laughs> yeah, this we, don't shit, work, yeah. we don't work this out. We don't work all the way out. out. <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, Good try, yeah. though, man. Wishful. I feel you, man. You know, you. Hey, wishful thinking. Hey, you know. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll take. The, look, this. This is a little. This is official. Little brother reunion. I'll take it. The album is banging. I'm Thank you, man. Happy to have been a part of it. Thank you. Um. So what happens? Uh. Okay. So obviously we're in the age of the Rona now, where all the breaks have suddenly halted on our professional lives, and. You know what happens now? Is this time for a new album? Is it we making it through the Rona, man? That's, that's all you. That's all you can do right now. Yeah, one uh, day at a time. Yeah, one day. yeah. You know, pe- people always ask us about another album, man. It's it's one for us. It's just one of the things where it's like, let's be like, you lucky I, you got the one you got. <laughs> not only that, <laughs> <Nigga>. <laughs> but like we both have just a lot of other things that we have going on and you know like i, I manage full time so right luckily big doe my my partner so he was able to pick up a lot of that slack and it, and what is that into now who being a manager being a suit listen man let me tell you something bro this shit <laughs> is this shit will I, you can't see him in the camera but i got a lot of grades down here now man <laughs> got a lot of grades man it's you know, it's for me. It's just one of the things, man. I just love music, and I I love the guys that I have, and I believe in them, full force. And I just want to see them accomplish some of the things that they want to accomplish, if not everything. So I'm I'm here. I'm ride or die. That's why I don't have a lot of clients, man. Like I gotta, I gotta feel goosebumps when I hear you for the first time. And all these guys, I, I had that feeling, but it's hard, man. It's stressful. It's, it's three. It's three different people, three different personalities three different levels in their careers right now. Mm-hmm. 
and but you're using you're using the wisdom all the wisdom that you all the wisdom. right but, but everything that you have but this is the thing how old are they how old are they um 30 30 30 31 and 24 youngin yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and this is this is the thing i tell people i'll just oh i have a i have a lot of wisdom right i have a lot of wisdom but this is their careers so i don't i don't rule with the iron fist i'm more of a Let's have a conversation about whatever the situation is. Let's weigh the pros, the cons. I'll give you my advice. I'll give you some, you know, some anecdotes if I have any. But at the end of the day, you have to make a choice for you because mm-hmm. it's your career. And I'm going to ride whatever that choice is, whether I agree or not. But yeah. it has to be your choice because you got to go out here and sell this shit. Exactly. Yeah, we were always kind of on some, when it came to us dealing with other acts, whatever, we were always kind of on some tie goes to the runner shit. Just in the sense of, you know, like he said, I was like, I can have my thoughts about it, but if it's a song you believe in, you the one that's got to walk out here on this shit, not me. It's it's your name that's attached to it. So I could hate the fucking song, but if you love it and this what you believe in, then I'll stand behind you on it because it's you the one that's got to sell it. Yeah. And it's going to yeah. follow you Sometimes around the world. It's going to follow you around. <laughs> I think the, the best thing for not me, me. The, the best thing for me in my position is. I have a legacy that's cemented. Whether I stop today and just go back to being Thomas Jones and go work at the airport or some shit, like my legacy is cemented already. So I don't have that fear of the fuck up. And it's just like, yo, let's 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 go. Let's go fast. Let's go hard. And if we fuck up along the way, it's gonna happen. Mistakes going a hundred and mistakes going ten is two different type of mistakes. <laughs> Let's go hunt it. And and that's just yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah, I was um I was thinking we had Jimmy Jam on, you know, the other day and you know, he was talking about mm-hmm. how um his wife, you know, how he got involved in the Grammys and stuff and it was his wife that was telling him like, "Yo, this is what you're supposed to be doing now." You know what I mean? And um that really resonated with me cuz it kind of reminded me I think that was a lot of what me and Pooh would have conversations with about May the Lord Watch. Um, one of the earliest conversations we had after we finished the record, the first thing we thought about was, okay, how can who can we help? Like, now that we've done this, how can we use this new platform we have to, you know, jump somebody else off or help, you know, someone else? And um, so when it comes to, you asked about doing another album, um, for me, you know, that record just took, a lot like it, it took everything out of me everything. because it was so much we knew we had to get right and i mean you know and you always you know it's not to say that it's ever been you know records that we have stepped on or like purposely just did some bullshit or whatever i mean we always put our best foot forward but uh what made a little watch that was just a draining process because we did everything ourselves you know what i mean we cleared our samples we were budget label studio the whole nine you know what i'm saying so it just right. took so much out of us both and um i think in terms of us doing another record um f- for me it, it it really just came down to i just wanted us to do something so where now the air is out of the room so now if i just want to jump on a song for his album or he jump on some of my album we can just do a fucking song and that be the end of it there's no more discussion of oh well what does this mean and 
nigga just mean we did a song together you know what i mean so right. we we have the freedom to do that now and um if another record comes if we feel like we got something else to say you know we can do that but um as of right now uh I, speaking for me i'm just kind of enjoying the peace of uh just having you know my brother back in my life again and us being able to use our influence to help other people like that's the most that's the the, the most joy the joyous part of it for me and we still Amen. got cities we ain't touched yet because of the Rona, man. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> we ain't been to New York, Houston, Detroit, Toronto, Detroit. Boston. We ain't been a show at the crib since the festival. Like, mm-hmm. man, y'all ain't getting no album to that happen. 20, 2025. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, look, a bird in the hand, a bird in the hand, beast two in the bush. I mean, I wanted a new Little Brother record. And you got it. I got I got a Christmas gift. I'm not being greedy. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you for hey. listening, man. Yeah, man. Oh, and, and and I always wanted to thank you, Amir, for I don't know if you remember, but we did a show at the TLA. This is this is around this is the listening time. And you, okay. you came to the show and I know exactly said, what you're talking about. I remember you this. said, yo, I wanna buy some CDs from y'all. And we said, Okay, how many you want? You pay for thirty CDs. You left them CDs there. <laughs> I did. So we were able to resell them CDs with your money in hand. And we needed that money. So I always, yeah. I, 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 I never think, got I to think, thank you for that. Wow. <laughs> I think I did that on purpose. That's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a very Amir thing to do. Hey. But I think I also did it on hey, purpose. dollars got niggas back down 95. <laughs> Show me it. <laughs> Show me it. <laughs> All right. Well, look, um, I'm wrapping up the show, man. Yo, I want to thank y'all for doing this show. Under under these circumstances, I never thought I'd get the the little brother episode. But you know but what, though, man, I, on some written, this is just my mind working post edible. <sighs> How poetic is it that we all met on the internet and now right. we're doing our show doing, on the internet? We're doing on the the internet. <laughs> Don't you it's tell only me right. what my God can't do? <laughs> Won't he do it? <laughs> It's only right. Well, on behalf of Big Pooh, Fontigolo, Boss Bill, the rest of Team Supreme, Laia, Sugar Steve, uh, Unpaid Bill, and Fontig... Oh, my God. I was about to see you out getting cigarettes. Anyway. <laughs> I'm back now. <laughs> oh, you good. All right. This is uh, Quest Love, and thank you for tuning in, and we will see you on the next go-round of Quest Love Supreme. Thank Peace. you. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.